Welcome to How to Live with the Rich, a limited series podcast about how the middle class can actually, practically, and biblically help the poor. I am your host, Beck Isaacson, and welcome to the show. Welcome everybody to today's episode. How are you today? I hope you guys are doing really well. And on today's episode, we are talking all about inequality, which absolutely sucks. Hopefully not the episode itself, but just the reality of the topic. It's just the worst. And I feel like last week's episode was very, I don't know what the word is, like cerebral or theoretical, heady maybe. And this week's episode is somewhat of the opposite. It's just real, raw, actual, factual, terrible reality. But as always, let's start off today's episode with tiny happy things, the little segment where I talk about something that makes me happy before we dive into things that don't make me happy at all. And today's tiny happy thing is pasta salad. I mean, I don't know how pasta salad is technically called a salad at all, but I am 150% on board regardless because There are a couple of foods in my life where I have absolutely zero self-control and pasta salad, for whatever reason, is one of them. If I was forced to marry a food, which I don't know, you know, what reality that would happen in, but if I was forced to, it would probably be a pasta salad. And my all-time favorite one, I mean, I'm like salivating just thinking about it, but it has cherry tomatoes and it has mozzarella. And not like the weird yellow kind, but the good, real, white, kind of pull-apart, crumbly stuff. And it has summer sausage, which I did not know was a thing until I came to America. And it has olives and red onion and Italian dressing. And it I can eat it until my stomach literally hurts with absolutely zero regrets. How great is pasta salad, you guys? The only correct answer to that question, of course, is that it is the best. And so case closed on the tiny happy thing of pasta salad. All right, let's talk about inequality. How is that for a segment switch? Uh, But we are going to start really broad and general with inequality as a whole. And then we are going to move very specifically for the rest of the episode, into gender inequality. And with that fantastic little intro, let's get into the first of our five facts for today. Fact number one. In 2018, 26 people in the world owned the same amount of wealth as the 3.8 billion people who make up the poorest half of humanity. Let's just stop there, because if that doesn't stun you into silence, then I actually have no idea what will. I mean, just try and picture it, you guys. If we had this set of scales, and I personally like to imagine it as one of those, like, old Egyptian-type scales. I don't know if they were used for, like, the afterlife or something, but imagine a set of scales, and on one side you have 26 people, 
And on the other side, you have 3.8 billion people and they weigh the exact same amount. I think that is not as it should be. That is not right. Something has gone very, very wrong. And what this demonstrates to me more than anything is that the gap that exists between the rich and the poor is more pronounced than it has ever been. I mean, to me, this is just unfathomable. I mean, over 1 billion people in the world still do not have access to electricity. To electricity, 1 billion people and 3 billion 3 billion still use wood, coal, charcoal, or animal waste to cook their food, which is actually quite dangerous as it exposes them to terrible toxic levels of air pollution. And I have in my world what is seemingly endless options for pre-mailed meal kit subscription boxes, while almost half of the world is still cooking their meals over an open fire in the middle of their homes. I mean, what in the world is that? And this is exactly what I mean when I talk about inequality. Also, did you see how I snuck those extra facts in there without actually counting them as my five facts? I'm a pretty sneaky genius, I know. Okay, continuing with our actual facts and just prefacing this beforehand, that the rest of these do have to do with the inequality that exists between men and women around the world. And trust me, I know that this can be a touchy topic that comes with a whole lot of baggage and I know it lands me in danger of being called, I don't know, a raging feminist, which when it comes to this subject, you know, I actually am completely okay with because these stats are not okay with me. And so let's just get to them and let them speak for themselves. Okay, so fact number two for the day, men control over 86% of corporations around the world and 50% more of the world's wealth than women. This makes the global gender pay gap 23%. I do not like that. Fact number three, for every 100 men aged 25 to 34 who live in poverty, there are 122 women of that same age group. Poverty is therefore a gendered issue, which, you know, I don't like that either. Fact number four, there are 49 countries in the world who have no laws at all protecting women from domestic violence, and there are 18 countries which have laws whereby husbands can illegally prevent their wives from working. That is not okay with me. And finally, fact number five, 99% of victims in the forced commercial sex industry are women, as are 58% of all other slaves. And so, whatever way you look at this topic, women and girls are disproportionately impacted by poverty, and the world still has a very long way to go before we are on any kind of equal playing field with this topic. And I don't know if any other women listening can relate to this, but I have always personally found it very difficult to answer the question, if you could live in any period of time, what would you choose? Because as a woman, I mean, my options aren't great. I could choose a time where I was a piece of property to be owned by my father or then my husband. I could choose a time where I wasn't even allowed to vote or I could choose right now where I still earn 23% less for the exact same work around the world. And I live in the absolute best case scenario for women. And let me just camp out here for a little while because I want to talk about my own journey as a woman on today's podcast. And don't 
get too worried about what that means because uh, specifically as a woman growing up in the church, this journey has not been a particularly easy one. And that's because I'm just not a very stereotypically womanly woman as it is described by our culture. I didn't grow up longing to have babies and get married. I have no idea what to do with my makeup and my hair. I mean, I'm 31 years old and I truly have no idea what I'm doing. And I never want to go to craft nights at church. I love being alone. I love adventure. I love change. And all of these feelings kind of only intensified when I started to read various Christian books on the roles of men and women because a lot of the time I found that these books made these really sweeping statements about men and women. Things like women desire love and men desire respect or women need security while men need adventure and they just always made me feel very insecure because in (laughs) pretty much every single list that I read, I identified more with the manly desires than I did with the womanly ones. And you know, maybe this is because I grew up with brothers and not sisters, but I just didn't seem to care about the things that women were supposed to care about, and I didn't feel the things that women were supposed to feel. And then I grew up in a church environment where women were not allowed to teach or be in any positions of authority over men. And so I never got to see a woman in any kind of church leadership position. And so essentially I didn't know any different. But in this whole process, this little kind of fire started burning within me and it was kindled over time and it did eventually form into this bitterness and this anger against actually God himself because I was really mad at him for making me a woman with what appeared to be the giftings and desires of a man. And no, I am not saying that I had all of the desires of a man, but I did want to lead and I did want to have success and I wanted to take the nations for Christ and I wanted to teach and preach his word and I wanted to care for the sick. And in fact, I felt like I was actually made and designed for these things, but I just was not allowed to do them. And so I had this fire in my belly and I dreaded the women's events at church with crafts and small talk. And so this led me to what could be the only logical conclusion, which was, of course, that something was terribly wrong with me. And then I got married to a pastor and all of a sudden became a pastor's wife, whatever that means, which actually turns out to mean a whole lot of things that I'm not. And then I began this you could call it quest. I mean, that's a very valiant word for what it was, more like a research journey. But I needed to begin this process of figuring this stuff out because I knew that as a pastor's wife in the church, I had to have an educated biblical opinion on this particular topic. And then I began to travel and I had experience after experience of seeing women firsthand around the world treated as what can only be described as the scum of the earth. As an example, this one time I volunteered, I was part of a team who volunteered in this very, very rural hospital. And when I mean very rural, I mean very, very rural. No road access, no electricity, that kind of thing. And I don't I don't want to mention the country because I don't think it's particularly helpful in this context, but in this hospital, 
Every single service was completely free of charge except for men who brought in their wives after they had beaten them up. Now, I know that on the surface this can sound like an absolutely barbaric, horrible policy, and that's honestly what I first thought as well when I heard it, but what happened was the staff were just so sick of seeing these men beat up their women, beat up their wives, and bring them in for treatment time and time again without any consequence to them. They were hoping that them having to pay even just a small fee for their wives' repeated hospitalization would be enough of a deterrent for them not to do it in the first place because Beating women in this country is so common that it is considered completely acceptable, regardless of your faith, regardless of your beliefs, it is just a normal part of life. Or another time I was working in a country on an HIV AIDS project that was absolutely spreading like wildfire. And I mean HIV AIDS, not the project itself, because in this particular culture, it was very normal for the men married or otherwise, to have many different lovers. They would contract HIV and bring it back to their wives, and through no fault of their own, these women became infected and they could do absolutely nothing about it. They had no say or agency in their lives. And I sat with these women and I listened to their stories and I treated them and I cried with them. And you can't help but have these kind of experiences deeply change you. And somewhere along the way, this fire and this confusion that I carried in being a woman transformed into this different kind of fire, a fire that wasn't just about my own confusion and my own feelings and lack of understanding, but a fire that actually cried out from the deepest parts of me that this was not okay. That the age-old attack on women throughout all of time and in every place on earth is absolutely not right. It's not right. And my unhelpful anger became a kind of righteous anger that screamed, no, this is not right. Women are worthwhile. Women are amazing. Women deserve to be treated correctly, not as property, not as less than, and not as objects to be used and abused at will. We are not disposable. We are not second-class citizens. And any treatment as such is the absolute misuse of human life. And as we all know, this war against women is as old as time itself. For example, in Homer's The Iliad, which was written 80 years before Christ, women are named as the cause of suffering and conflict, which, great. Another example, the all-famous Plato said that females are inferior in goodness to males And Aristotle wrote that women were a form of deformed male and that we have an evil disposition. I mean, I could go on, honestly, for a very long time, but this hatred and this downtroddenness of women, I'm not sure if downtroddenness is a word, but go with it, uh, this goes back as far as we can in human history. Also, I mean, it goes without saying, but let me say it anyway, I don't hate men. I don't think women are better than men, but I do believe that there has been a very specific attack on women for many, many thousands of years that is absolutely still continuing today. And so, 
I am not off my soapbox just yet. I also believe that Satan has and does work very, very hard to oppress women because of many of the natural tendencies that they possess. Things like love and compassion and grit and resilience and creativity and the desire to care for others and nurture other people. I mean, when that kind of of power is released onto what is a broken and hurting and offended world, I mean, what an amazing thing. And yet, I think we work really hard to make sure those tendencies are silent and underpaid and often out of sight. And it it makes me angry. Honestly, it makes me angry. And then on top of that, we have the violence against women and girls globally. And it really just becomes a bit of a fury inside of my soul. And I know that I am out of my five facts for the day, but I make the rules on this podcast, and so here are just a couple more just to really drive this point home, because it is estimated that 100 million girls are missing from today's world because they were killed because of their sex. Around the world, 35% of women experience sexual or physical violence from a partner, and there are 750 million girls who were married off today as child brides and over 200 million that have undergone female genital mutilation. And I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, but it actually should make you mad. And John 10.10 tells us that Satan absolutely thrives on stealing and killing and destroying. And when I look at the narrative of women throughout history, that is the story that I read over and over and over again. And it is not just in the pages of our history books, but it is absolutely all around us in the nations of the world today as well. But then, and here's where it gets really great, you guys, then we have Jesus. And if we take a quick look at the Roman Empire where Jesus was living, I find a few things very, very interesting. First off is that Roman law gave men the right to kill their wives for adultery or drunkenness. Cato said, if you catch your wife in adultery, you can kill her. She, however, cannot dare to lay a finger on you if you commit adultery. Great. It was also allowed for female, but not male, babies to be discarded and left to die of exposure. Women were the property of their fathers and or husbands, and this is the political, cultural climate that Jesus came into, and unfortunately that many millions of women around the world still find themselves in today as well. But back to Jesus, because there is absolutely no question in my mind that he empowered women time and time and time again. And here are just a couple of examples. There are many more. And I'm sorry if this one is crude, but back in the time of Jesus, many people believed that male semen contained the whole tiny person, like a seed, and that the women were essentially just the dirt in which the seed grew. Well, God essentially threw that misconception out the window because he had Jesus be born of a human woman alone. Secondly, of course, with the Holy Spirit, but you know. Secondly, John the Baptist baptized Jesus, but he was anointed and ordained by two women. And thirdly, after the death of Jesus, women were the ones who came to his grave, and women were the ones that were first commanded to go and tell other people about his resurrection. Women were therefore the first to proclaim the good news of the resurrection of Christ. 
And in the New Testament, we find the first evangelist who was sent to carry the good news outside of Jewish culture was the woman at the well. We read and we know that the disciples were so shocked that Jesus even talked to this woman for a whole number of reasons. And yet Jesus still engaged her in theological discussion. He led her to a place of repentance. He revealed himself to her as the Messiah, and he told her to go and spread the good news. This is the longest exchange we have recorded of Jesus one-on-one with anybody in all of scripture. And completely counterculturally, Jesus told a woman and this woman of all people to go and tell his good news. But there is more. I mean, with the woman caught in adultery, Jesus refused to play into the double standard. Back in the Jewish synagogues, women were separated from men and they had to remain at the back and or behind a dividing screen. And yet in Luke 10, sorry, in Luke 13, 10 to 17, Jesus calls a crippled woman to the front and he heals her there. This, of course, made the religious leaders very mad. They expressed their outrage in the name of the Sabbath. And then Jesus calls this woman a daughter of Abraham, which is not found in any other Old or New Testament texts. Sons of Abraham is, but not daughters. And I think that is awesome and interesting. And what's more, a lot of Jesus's teachings took place outside or in people's homes or on the seashore, places like that. These were public areas with no quote-unquote place for women to be pushed back or excluded from religious teaching and inclusion. And this was vastly different to other Jewish teachers at the time. What's more, Jesus also taught women directly. I mean, we, we have examples like Mary and Martha who sat at his feet. And before Jesus, the sign of God's people was, of course, circumcision only for men. But Jesus changed that to baptism, which included men and women. And again, I could go on with many, many other examples. But my point when it boils down to it is this. Jesus empowered women in a world where they would have been endlessly disempowered. And this disempowerment continues today for women everywhere, including in the arena of poverty, which is a gendered issue. And this brings me to today's Tuesday tip, which is the segment where I offer practical solutions to the problem that I'm exposing. And today I have actually a couple of them. And the first is actually something that I have brought up before, and that is sponsoring a child. But this time I want you to be intentional about sponsoring a female child, because what an incredible opportunity we have to speak life and destiny into a woman through your letters and your correspondence. Secondly, my Tuesday tip is to buy products from stores that support women's education, employment, or empowerment. There are several that sell all kinds of goods, things like jewelry, clothing, coffee, and one of my absolute all-time favorites is an organization called Seiko Designs, who are a global fair trade fashion brand. They sell all kinds of things, clothes, bags, jewelry, And they provide fair wages and educational opportunities for women around the world. You can find out more at SeikoDesigns.com. Seiko is spelled S-S-E-K-O. They are amazing. And they are one example of many organizations that sell goods and profit women who are living in difficult circumstances globally. 
Thirdly, my tip is to get involved in the fight against human trafficking. It is not only a female issue, but it is predominantly a female issue and it is absolutely a misuse of human life and not okay. And there are a ton of ways that you can get involved, but the simplest one that requires really nothing of you is this. Know the signs that indicate human trafficking because it happens literally wherever you are listening to this. And also keep the number for the human trafficking hotline saved in your phone. In the USA, that number is 888-373-7888. And you can use that hotline to report any behavior that you witness that you think is suspicious. Fourthly, which importantly, but kind of simply, is... Make sure that you are not a part of the problem in the first place. For example, if you own a business, please offer the same pay for the same work. Be a part of championing women and allow by just simply allowing them equal opportunity. Make sure that sexual harassment in any form is not tolerated in your place of work. And please speak up if you see or identify anything. And all right, on that note... Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I know that it's a lot and it's probably not what you were expecting, but please do reach out to me if you have any questions or comments. As always, you can DM me on Instagram over at howtolivewiththerich or you can email me at howtolivewiththerich at gmail.com. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Please subscribe, rate, review, share, all of the things. And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. Happy Tuesday. Have a great one. Bye.